This season 7 finale of Where Nobody Knows Your Name is also recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, season 7 finale. That's right, James, we're talking about The Visiting Lecture, season 7, episode 22. I'm John. And I'm James. Pew, pew, pew. pew. <laughs> Finger pew, guns pew, for the finale? Pew. Yeah, that's uh, seven pews <laughs> as well, if I if I counted correctly. This episode aired on the 4th of May, 1989, and it was written by David Lloyd and directed by James Burroughs. What a finale, James. It is, yeah. I was pouring a celebratory drink there. It is a, it is a good finale. I'm not sure whether it works as a finale. I think the previous episode was more finale-esque. Yeah, I think I said that last week as well, that I felt like last week could have been a finale. I was excited by one more episode of the season seven. So let's see what it brought. It's an interesting one. Do you know what? I think it's probably got more interesting with time. Very much so. Yeah. And a lot of the reviews are basically saying the events of this episode wouldn't fly today. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, I so, didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> so societal insights uh, <laughs> there. What my thoughts were is I don't think they would fly today, but I feel like they didn't fly then because Rebecca was very much calling them out. Yeah. And it's a tragedy, really, because people don't listen to her. I'll say also, because this is an audio podcast, visiting lecture, not lecturer. Lecture, yes. As in one who leches. Slimy, sneaky lecture. Like a leech. But spelled slightly different. <laughs> but before we get into the uh, leechy, slimy episode, should we talk about the cold open, James? Because that is full of positive vibes. Lovely positive vibes for a cold <laughs> open, getting us psyched for an episode of sleaze. <laughs> Here we go. Well, unusually, Carla is being most pleasant, especially to Cliff. She welcomes him lovingly to the bar, asking what she can do for him. It's just incredibly nice to everyone, which creates the question, why? <laughs> it's a good question. And she says that her psychic, her palm reader, Madame Lazola, has said that if you're nice to everyone, something good will happen. Basically, this isn't a full time thing. This is just. <laughs> can, do you think you can manage that, Carla? And she's like, Can I give backhanded compliments? Oh, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, fire away. Yeah. A way of coping with this is the bigger the jackass a guy is, the more courteous she's going to be. And then she turns around and is incredibly nice to Cliff. <laughs> I do like a loophole. Tonight, the bigger jackass a guy is, the more courteous I am going to be. I'll start with numero uno. Now I do hope you allow me the incredible privilege of serving you a beer, Mr. Clavin. <laughs> And I tell you what, James, after all the positive of the cold open, we go into a slightly more sombre, uh, maybe not sombre, but more reflective main episode as we see Frasier discussing one of his former colleagues is going to be arriving at Cheers shortly. And he's kind of uh, slightly jealous, but he doesn't want to admit it, of his colleague's success. Yeah, but he says, you can't measure success by dollars and cents, popularity or personal fame. And you can see that those words start to gripe on Frasier a little bit as we reflects and goes, actually, you can. While you can measure success in those ways, it's not the only way to measure success, I think is what Frasier is trying to say. Mm. And we find out his colleague is none other than Dr. Lawrence Crandall. Oh, he even sounds like a legend. <laughs> Yeah, he's the lech in question. He's a sort of academic guru on all things about a long-lasting relationship, monogamous relationship. Which makes him apparently 
an authority on sexual behaviour. Norm says that his book is science fiction. One of Norm's jokes this episode. I don't think Norm gets many jokes in this episode, but that's one of them. Well, yeah, uh, he doesn't have much to do, but, you know, he, he chips in. He goes, what? Happy, long-lasting relationships? I, I don't buy it. Yeah, no. It sounds made up. <laughs> but Fraser reassures him that this academic, he knows how to have a successful long-term marriage and that, in fact, he's been away from his wife for the best part of a year and he's just... What, what does he say? He says he's still in, infatuated with her and he misses her every day and that's how this academic copes with it. He reminds himself of the wife that he loves. Yep, and uh, Fraser chips in. Says, well, I couldn't even think about being apart from Lilith for a year. And then he rephrases in an answer and we'll play. Well, you know, success does have its price tag. He's been away from his wife, Valerie, for the better part of a year. You know, I think I'd go crazy if I was away from Lilith for that long. I don't even like to think about it. Well, I do think about it. I don't enjoy it. Sure not. Well, I do enjoy it. I'm not proud of the fact. Dr. Lawrence Crandall does arrive at the bar, and he seems nice enough. At first. At first. (laughs) (laughs) I think when someone says they're an expert on sexual behavior, it can go one of two ways. They can either be quite respectful and quite proper, or they can be a really filthy creature. But after meeting everyone in the bar, he seems to blend in quite well. He has a good back and forth. But he mentions about how much he misses his wife. He makes a point of it to call her at least once a day to say to her, you're my world, you're my life, I love you. And he makes a point to say that every day and he asks if he can use the phone in Rebecca's office to give her a call. He just called to say he loves her. Yes. That's, that's yeah. So great. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the playlist. <laughs> Everything seems innocent enough. Rebecca goes into her office to do some, I assume, admin? I don't, I don't know what she was doing. He went in to get to copy documents and she went in because it's her office. Oh yeah, he didn't use the phone, did he? He used a photocopier. What am I saying? But he does call her in the episode. And whilst they're both in the office, he begins a unusual conversation. How may I ask you something? Sure. I hope you won't take this the wrong way, but my field is human sexual dynamics. And just now I had the strangest impression. Please tell me if I'm wrong. That something happened when you and I were introduced. I sent some sparks, some flicker of response on your part. Very subtle, but unmistakable. Was I imagining that? I think so. (laughs) My mistake. I'm sure you understand. Of course. You, you, You are aware I wasn't being judgmental. Of course. It's the response itself that interested me, purely as a scientist. And you are quite sure that on some very basic level, you didn't experience an undeniable attraction. Positive. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Still, I can't keep wondering whether your subconscious may not be trying to tell us something. I swear to you, Dr. When I hear such facile denial, it always sets off a little alarm in my head. Dr. Crandall. Call me Lawrence. Let me make this as clear as I know how. There was no attraction when we met or since. I felt nothing. I feel nothing. Zero. Nada. Zip. (laughs) Zip. Interesting unconscious choice of words. word. Out 
Sorry. It's a bit kind of coercive. Very much so. It's very much so of, hey, you attracted to me? No, but but you you looked at me with your eyes. Yes, because you you spoke to me. Ah, yes. So he's quite manipulative. He's quite persistent. He's disgusting, is what he is. He tries to use this idea that he is uh, an authority on relationships to gain a bit of power. And this is what we said at the start of the episode, where um, it's not something which would would fly today, and it's not something which Rebecca accepts either. Yeah, and I think he didn't expect Rebecca to be... So forthright in her... Forthright, but also assured of herself. It's clear that he tries this tactic on a lot of people. Oh, yes. He's a bad man. But he remains polite, which I think is the most sinister thing. It's... I'm trying to think of... um... He hasn't done any wrong, but he's Mm. done lots of wrong. Yeah, it's... You ever watched Fargo, the TV show? Uh, Only the first few episodes. There's a character in one of the later seasons who is this Englishman. He's very polite in how he speaks and how he talks to people, but very menacing and very threatening. Giancarlo Esposito has very similar roles as well. Gus from Breaking Bad, where he's quite a polite man. You know, he could kill you, you know. Similar role here, just really kind of predatory. But after this encounter, they go back out into the bar and a little bit of time passes and he asks Rebecca for some drinks, to which she replies, ask the bartender. Sam gets ready to fix him up some drinks. And Sam and Fraser talk to Rebecca and say, why are you being so rude to this man? Because he's a bad man. And that's kind of the slight, I don't want to say issue. She can't put her finger on what he's done wrong because he's just generally slimy and... It's the persistence uh, that she must be attracted to him. And it's the undertones of what he's doing that are very evident when you see him in action... But if it can't t- really be verbalised. If you took a transcript of what he said, people would go, oh, yeah, that's uh, he needs to back off a little. So Sam and Frazier tell her that she needs to apologise to him and tell her that she's overreacting. And she does listen to them, goes over to apologise and says, sorry, we've got off on the wrong foot. And he continues, James. He kind of guilt trips her, gaslights, I'd say, mm, that's almost. A good, yeah. Where he says... Don't worry, lots of people find me unappealing and and disgusting. Yeah, tries to guilt her, tries to buy sympathy. But he doesn't cite his behaviour as the reason that women may not be attracted to him. He manages to guilt trip her by saying that women aren't attracted to him purely because of how he looks. You know, and this is when Rebecca goes, no, I don't think you're unattractive, partly because he's playing, you know, trying to play the sympathy card. Polite at this point, I think. Yeah, damage control. James, what does he do? Oh, he rubs his bare foot up against her leg. Rubs his toe on her with a hole in his sock. And she says, you have a hole in the sock. And he says, like it? Oh, he's a creepy man. I know this is a PG <laughs> podcast. Uh, do you know what, James? I think PG podcast might go out the window for this episode. Because he, <laughs> he drops the word bitch later on. <laughs> I mean, we'll come to it later. But that may be about, what? <laughs> in an episode of Cheers. <laughs> At this point, James, should we talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of uh, this episode? Because there's some interesting tidbits about that and uh, the character of Dr. Crandall and what could have been. He was meant to be Cleese, but due to scheduling commitments, John Cleese couldn't come in. Yeah, I would have liked to see Dr. Simon Finch voice return. But I tell you what, James, from Ken Levine's podcast and his, yeah. uh, I should say, blog actually, not his podcast, he yeah. does write about this episode and John Cleese's team got in touch and expressed interest about returning to the show. Oh, that's nice. So they reached out to Cheers. Yeah, and everyone was really excited about it, and they were thrilled about it. And David Lloyd went away 
and enthusiastically writ the episode and they were really excited about it and i guess this is why this was the final mm-hmm. uh, they put it together and got it scheduled ready to go into rehearsal and then mr Klee's people uh called up to inform them and this is what ken levine says please was too tired to do the episode i mean if john Cleese says he's too tired that means that he really isn't interested because john Cleese doesn't mince words does he the episode was quickly rewritten john mcmartin was hired to play dr lawrence crandall who is pretty similar pretty similar but dr simon finch royce wasn't as sleazy wasn't as predatory yeah i can understand why they might not have liked the script and not wanted to do it well did they rewrite to make him more lecherous after john cleese was unavailable i don't know but i feel like the script wouldn't have had to change too much mm. with the character change but what i will say and what ken levine said is john cleese wasn't as thought to uh, too fondly afterwards understandably yeah. so i imagine it was quite a lot of a last minute change to be honest also in contention for the role <laughs> was also peter graves as well Peter Graves, I've heard uh, of that name. He was in Airplane, he was in Mission Impossible as well, actually, in the the old versions. Yeah, this is the TV show. And a few other bits and pieces. I didn't know about about Peter Graves being a contender. But alas, he wasn't. And I think John McMartin did a great job at playing this sort of devious role. It leads up to a farce, doesn't it? It's it's one of those classic Cheers hotel room farces (laughs) that we haven't seen for a while, James. And you know what? This one also involves a cupboard, just like that married couple in in that episode before, who had to hide in the bathroom. (laughs) But in the cupboard. (laughs) It's a big old cupboard. But we do cut to the doctor in his hotel room. I was going to say wooing, but I don't think that's the right term. Uh, uh, um... Seducing could be... Seducing, manipulating, courting a young chambermaid, which sounds like a line from a romance novel. After they've had a bit of back and forth, and he's talking to her, and it's clear he's he's got champagne on the table, and he's trying to woo her. She says quite a poignant line. I didn't even realize myself that I was attracted to you until you told me you sensed it. (laughs) Well, human behavior is pretty much an open book to me. There's nothing I haven't seen or. I've read or been told about or seen pictures of or short films. He's a bad man. I think that's the kind of thing which it shows is that kind of power that he feels and probably does have within his position of being a scientist in this field or a professor in this field. Just to lighten the mood a bit, it feels like a Barney Stinson play. Say you are a doctor of sex. Do you know, this is the thing though, is clearly this guy is set up to be a villain, but there's definitely a prejudice to age here in the fact that what he's doing is not really dissimilar to Barney Simpson or Sam Malone. It's a, it's a classic playbook scenario from either of their playbooks, you know? It is. He's a bit but more the, explicit in it. But the fact he's an old guy, we're like, ah. I mean, we've always <laughs> called Sam out. But the fact that this guy's old, we're like, ah. It's partly due to age. It's partly due to having a doctorate in something. One should be bestowed with a certain responsibility. And he is abusing that. You know, as Spider-Man's uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm calling him irresponsible is what I'm doing. This guy's reputation is built on the fact that he has a long-term marriage and he's been faithful all this time. He's written a book about it. He's preaching it to people. He's going on tour at the moment, preaching it to people. He's very duplicitous, whereas Sam and Barney are both one-track mind. Crandall's a two-faced... A dirty old man. (laughs) (laughs) You dirty old man. (laughs) 
<laughs> Anyhow, Rebecca has a plan where she knocks on his door and wants him to admit the fact that he came on to her. But it's not good enough that he just says it to her. She wants Sam to hear as well. So she goes into his hotel room, knocks on the door, kind of storms in and demands an aspirin. At this point, you heard the knock on the door and you said to the chambermaid, go and hide in the closet. Oh, that's a good point to add that in, James. Yeah. Because... As soon as Rebecca gets him to get her aspirin, she sneaks Sam in the room and sends him to the same closet. Yeah. Oh, what's Sam up to in there? I'll tell you. Well, he's up to uh, nonsense. And uh, Rebecca's having a conversation with the doctor, trying to get him to admit it. And he does. And she's expecting Sam to burst down and catch this doctor in, in the act. But he doesn't. And we do find out, like you say, Sam's up to no good. He's met the chambermaid uh, called Maria. I like to think, we don't see the exchange from the closet, but I like to think what happened is that Sam saw Maria, Maria's good looking, Maria saw Sam, Sam's good looking, and they flirted with each other. But I like to think at no point did Sam go, you are attracted to me and convince her that she is. I like to think she already was, uh, just because it's, it's slightly more wholesome than Crandall's methods. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what we find out is that in that short space of time, she's moved on from Crandall. Probably realised that she didn't particularly like Crandall, and now, now she likes Sam. When Rebecca finds out that Crandall's got a chambermaid in his closet, she goes, how are you going to explain this one? And he says, she's his assistant and she's going to take dictation. She don't look like an assistant. Wow, he opens the door and there's a violinist at the door waiting to come in. A violinist enters the room, you know, to play music while they scribe. So he's kind of very much been caught in the act. There was an interesting line. Rebecca says... Now, at least, for God's sake, have the decency to come clean and tell Sam the truth. <laughs> Did that go to you like, what's that about? <laughs> it, it was the fact that he'd already told Rebecca the truth. So she and, wanted Sam to be aware of it. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if Sam particularly cares. It's like, do the point, decency and come clean and tell Sam the truth. But like, it would have been come clean and stop doing it. No, I'd have the decency tell Sam the truth. <laughs> Look, at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing to Sam, Crandall. Haven't you hurt him enough? <laughs> Poor Sam, he's there, he doesn't know. You need to tell Sam that come clean to Sam. <laughs> no more lies, Crandall. <laughs> so that bit I felt was a little bit weird. Crandall says he's been a very lonely man and he thought that the trip around touring his book would put his convictions to the test. Uh, and he says he's come up lacking. Uh, you failed. Yeah, you failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your failure. I, th I was going to say another F word, um, but yeah, your failure. <laughs> and this could have been a nice wrapped up episode at this point where he's learnt his lesson, but no, James, there's another knock at the door. Oh, whenever there's farce, you just got to build it up, build it up like a, <laughs> like a Jenga in reverse. Crendel's wife has come to surprise him. Surprise! And now there's there's four other people in his hotel room and he stuffs them in a closet. It, it reminds me of a pun. It's the name of a, I think it's a Veronica Mars episode, but I'll use that as a greeting. It's high infidelity, like high fidelity. But, uh, but yeah. Everyone else goes in the closet. Sam in the closet. Rebecca in the closet. Maria in the closet. Guy with violin in the closet. What's nice is while they go into the closet, Sam goes, hey, what's your name? <laughs> Sam says to Rebecca, you'll love it in there. And as uh, Crandall's wife enters the room, she notices the champagne set out straight away. Yes. Shall we talk about the cast? Now. Oh yeah, this is an Before excellent the time too. John McMartin as Dr. Lawrence Crandall. He also appeared in Sweet Charity, The Partridge Family, Hawaii Five O, Love American Style, All the President's Men, The Rockford Files, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, 
Heart to Heart, Falcon Crest, Magnum P.I., The Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote, Coach, Law and Order, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and many more. Joanna Barnes as Valerie Crandall, his wife. She also appeared in 21 Beacon Street, which, coincidence, Shears is also set on Beacon Street. Philip Marlowe, The Parent Trap, the 1961 version, Have Gun, Will Travel, Dr. Kildare, Mannix, Hawaii Five-0, Love American Style, Quincy M.E., The Betty White Show, Fantasy Island, Charlie's Angels, Barney Miller, Heart to Heart, Remington Steel, Trapper John M.D., Murder, She Wrote, The Parent Trap, the 98 version, and many more. Fabiana Udenio as Maria. She also appeared in Boarding School, Hard Bodies 2, Summer School, Full House, Designing Women, Bride of Reanimator, Freddy's Nightmares, Quantum Leap, Robocop 2, Diplomatic Immunity, Baywatch, Walker, Texas Ranger, Hearts of Fire, NYPD Blue, Wings, Caroline in the City, The John Larroquette Show, Mad About You, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, Babylon 5, CSI Miami, Jane the Virgin, and many more. Nicholas Miskasi as Zoltan. He also appeared in Shannon's Deal and 30-something. He was also the producer of the bloody indulgence series of films about hedonistic vampire, Bert. He was also married to Nana Visitor of Star Trek Deep Space Nine fame. What an excellent cast. It's a shame we stuck most of them in the cupboard, James. All, all, in you go. There you go. Keep, there's room. <laughs> Behind the coats. <laughs> the only two that aren't stuffed in there is, of course, John McMartin as Dr. Lawrence Crandall. And uh, Joanne Barnes as Valerie Crandall has just entered the hotel room and noticed some lovely champagne set out for two, James. And uh, questions Lawrence immediately. And he says, oh, the, the hotel, they're very good. They set it down every day for me. <laughs> yes. And he almost gets away with that, but then she goes... Uh, I would have gotten away with it too. Is it? She goes, let's go out for a dinner kind of thing. And yeah. she says, oh, you need a coat. He's very reluctant to get a coat, but then he's very loud to get a coat then after. Making my way to the closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the song he sings, but it may as well have been. <laughs> I think that was pretty good. <laughs> he, he, of course, pulls out a woman's coat. I mean, it's a big enough closet that he could step into the closet, get his coat, walk out. He's reaching into the closet blind, John. Do you know what I would say, though? Whose coat is that? Well, it's not Maria's, because she works there. How many women has he had visit his hotel? I don't know, James, but he's, he's keeping all their coats. <laughs> and worst, he's keeping their coats. <laughs> Poor women of Boston wandering around. <laughs> Coatless. Coatless. <laughs> After being towed by a big toe with no, no sock. By a shoeless weirdo. Damn you, Crandall. <laughs> but he pulls out this woman's coat, tries it on, clearly doesn't fit him and goes... Damn that Taylor. And she sees straight through this and says, whoever's in that closet better come out now. And they all spill out the four of them in this lineup. She's, she wants them to come clean and no one will apart from Rebecca, essentially. Rebecca wants to come clean. I think it's worth mentioning that just before Valerie arrives, they ask, why don't you tell her, you know, what's uh, going on? And Lawrence tells us his true opinions of his wife. I'm glad the truth is out. At last, no more lying, no more deceit. Lawrence, guess who? It's my wife, Hyde. I'm not going in a closet. Oh, come on, you'll enjoy it. I'll show you where. Please, please, you must. My career is at stake. So is my marriage. I've been faithful to this woman for 15 years, mostly because she's the scariest bitch you ever want to meet. Lawrence, you were right. 
you were a little uh, shocked by this, weren't you? I don't think we've heard the word in cheers before. Have you heard of the seven dirty words? I have not, James. Should you say them all now? <laughs> um, no. Mid-70s, I think it was mid-70s, comedian George Carlin spoke about the seven dirty words you couldn't say on TV or radio. Bitch was fair game because it could also apply to a female dog. And his argument was, if it can be used in another context, which is innocent, it can be used. So he used the example of, if you're going to see a singer and she has a small puppy who keeps yapping away, you can call the puppy a bitch. You cannot call the singer a bitch. They don't use it in that context at all. But the, his seven dirty words are still post-Watershed. I think you should say them now, James. Okay, well, here you go. That's a Blink-182 song. Is it? We'll add it to the playlist, James. Well, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so they've got this warning of a wife. She shows up, she's got them all lined up, and she's trying to ask them, why are you here? And the only person who steps up to the plate is Rebecca, who says, your husband hit on me in a bar. And she goes, well, what did he do? And this is the problem again, where he was polite, but he was manipulative and he was sort of coercive. That's hard to put into words. It is hard to put into words. She's like, well, you know, like a slug. (laughs) Yeah, just like that. Yeah. And no one's really believing Rebecca, which leads Rebecca to get angrier about this. Oh, and I love Rebecca being angry in this. Others, not so much, but I, I love her. So have your loving husband explain why the four of us were in that closet. You were there. You mean you don't know? Yes, I know. Because you are the scariest bitch we would ever want to make. <laughs> and you are a little tramp. Tramp? <laughs> Why, you're a bitch. I'm going to kill you. explain everything here. She, she just wanted to convince me that she's not crazy. <laughs> Do you feel bad for Rebecca in this episode? I wanted Rebecca to, you know, clock Crandall one. I think Rebecca could pack a good punch. Just bam. I think Rebecca comes off looking worse because she ends the episode by saying, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you like a dog. And why don't you get yourself some new socks, Buster? And Sam says, I can explain everything here. She just wanted to convince me that she's not crazy. What a finale. What a finale. I think it falls in to a lot of what we said about Rebecca. She is a middle management woman in a time where America was growing in its kind of corporate nature and and it was difficult for her to make any progress. And this just goes to show the worst side of that. Oh, look, trivia's here, John, to save the day. I gotta love some trivia. (laughs) For this season finale, let's pick things up with some lovely trivia, James. I feel like it's fitting this series to end by discussing some of uh, Carla's earrings. In this episode, she's got some beautiful earrings. But what are they of, James? Is it a letter of the alphabet? No. No? They're little aeroplanes. I'm What? I, she's got little Spitfire earrings, I think. They're like little little aeroplane earrings. She's a fashion icon, that girl. Crandall orders the house brand, or, or Fraser gets in the house brand. Either way, he has the house brand uh, to drink. What is the house brand? I, I assume it's of uh, liqueur or, or... I'm not sure if I knew the name, but it is a Nigerian cognac. A Nigerian cognac, yeah. Which, I've not had a Nigerian cognac. I've had cognac, and I've had Nigerian food. Never never the twain shall meet. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I tell you what, though, James, uh, in a similar question, uh, Crendel asks for a drink. Yeah. And there's a slight goof in this, a slight mistake, because Sam does something wrong. What happens? Is this when he orders a simple black and white, which is two, and Sam just goes, ah, you mean just one drink? He asks for it neat, but it's served over ice. Come on, Sam, that's basic bartending. Bartending 101, I'd say. What is Lawrence Crandall's book called? It's something something, then a semicolon, then the like name. The Forever Couple, The Joy of Loving One Person for the Rest of Your Life. I know it was someone like that. I think the drink choice is obvious, and I think we should have a bountiful supply of it. And what would that be, James? Nigerian cognac. Okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Served neat with ice. <laughs> Nigerian cognac neat. I enjoyed this episode. It, I don't think it was the final it wanted to be. And I think that is probably John Cleese's fault. <laughs> Having said that, John McMartin, I think, did a really great job with the scripts. David Lloyd rewrote the scripts in, I imagine, a, a speedy haste to get it back to where it needed to be, ready for a new direction. And I think they did a really good job with that. I think they should have just switched the two around because I think Sisterly Love worked better as a finale. Even though it wasn't a long-term romance, I could see how it worked better as a finale. I think Um, I'd agree with that. I suppose it's interesting how the last two episodes had big players lined up to take on some guest spots. They fell through, James. Well, yeah, but in Sisterly Love, you got Marsha Cross, who went on to become quite well-known. She has had some, you know, very good... Uh, guest cast over the years but we will be discussing in honor of the uh, 40th anniversary of the pilot episode we will be discussing the pilot episode again and how that legacy has lasted that's right we're going all the way back back to the beginning james all the way (laughs) back to season one episode one give me a ring sometime but until then james i guess we'll raise our nigerian cognacs we'll toast the season seven finale and all the episodes that have come before Because James, this has been, where nobody knows your name, a Cheers podcast. Mm